I'm going to read for us this morning all of uh, Psalm 19. While you turn there, would you stand with me? Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression." Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray together. Our God, we ask that you would speak to us this morning as we open up your word. We have before us again, as every week, the word that you have put down for our instruction so that we could know you, so that we could know about you, so that we could be intimately acquainted with you, and that we could be united to you in Christ. Teach us this morning what can be known about you in the skies. And we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. So we've read all of Psalm 19, and uh, that's what we're going to be going through over the next two weeks. This week and next week, we're looking at Psalm 19. It's often been divided into a a couple different pieces and we'll see how those pieces work together so nicely this week and then next week. This is how C.S. Lewis describes Psalm 19 and uh, he would know how to describe a writing. He said, I take this to be the greatest poem in all the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. If someone would know how to identify something that was written very well and that had a lot of meaning behind it, it would be C.S. Lewis. And uh, we'll find that that's definitely the case. This is a psalm. It's a poem. It's written as Hebrew poetry. And it's to be read as such. There's a lot of repetition. There are word pictures. And it really brings out all of the meaning that David, in this case, is trying to communicate to us. It's written by David. And uh, he he has... uh, been acquainted with God's words, and he's been acquainted with God's works, and he puts forward both of these things for us in Psalm 19. 
Now, the entirety of Psalm 19 uh, has basically three different pieces. In verses one through six, we have God's general revelation to us in what he's made, specifically in the skies. And that's what we look at this morning. Then in verses seven to 10, we have God's special revelation to us in what he's written, in his written word, what we have as the scriptures, as the Bible. And then we have the psalmist's reply to these messages at the end in verses 11 through 14. So this week we're looking at verses one through six, God's world. And next week we're looking at verses seven through 10, God's word. And what both of those have for us in terms of what we can know about God and know about his plan of redemption. So God wrote a book, uh, but it's also been said that God wrote two books for us. He has two books for our instruction. There is his world, all that he's made, and it tells us something about God. And there is his word that he's written down for our instruction, and it tells us something about God. Both of these are two books that work together into one cohesive volume that testify to the greatness, the glory of God. So, in Psalm 19, in these first six verses that we're looking at this morning, what I want us to see, because it's what David wants us to see, is why did God make the skies? What's so great about the skies? And by extension, what's so great about what God has made? What's so great about his world? And what can we know about him through it? So picture this. David walks out after the sun's gone down, and he looks at maybe the night sky. And he sees all the stars. He sees all the, the hosts of heaven. And he sees the planets. And he sees comets. And he writes down, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Look at verse 1. That's what it says. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. What does it mean that the skies and the heavens proclaim and declare the handiwork of God? It's really just as simple as that. It doesn't need to be more complicated, and we'll pull it out, but it's simply that the heavens speak of God's glory. They tell us about God, and they tell us that God is glorious, and that he has great knowledge. So this is our first point. We'll look at four different things. The first thing is the skies speak of God's glory. And we find this in verses 1 all the way through, halfway through verse 4. The skies speak of God's glory. So as I said, we have a bit of an interesting structure here. We see in this first verse that there's a parallel statement. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. We have the heavens, and we have the skies, and we have declare and proclaims, and we have his glory and his handiwork. And these things are synonymous. They mean the same thing, but it's the repetition that draws out what the, the, the emphasis is. And we find that we have a handful of these statements in Psalm 19, and it's very common in Hebrew poetry that we have these parallel statements that work together in such a beautiful way to communicate what the psalmist is trying to say. So we have this repetition that the heavens and the sky above are saying, are declaring something. 
A couple definitions of these words to help us understand what David's saying. He's saying declare, and by declaring, he's saying they are recounting. It's a, it's a continuous. The Hebrew means it's happening constantly. It doesn't mean he declared once, the skies just spoke once the glory of God. It means that the skies are continually, constantly speaking of the glory of God. Moment by moment. It means they're recounting all the details of God's glory. And to proclaim means that they're bringing news. They're bringing new revelation. It means that they have a critical message for us to hear as we're looking at the skies. So it's not something you can just kind of take or leave. It's a critical message, something that you have to understand when you look at the skies. So it might seem like an obvious question, but how do the skies speak anything? How do the heavens declare anything. They don't make sounds, do they? Well, it says the heavens declare, and the heavens speak. They speak knowledge. We'll see in a minute how exactly this happens, but does the psalmist really need to tell you, or do I need to really tell you, for you to be able to say, yes, the heavens speak something. The heavens say something. Just for a moment, Go in your mind to walking out under the night sky, or maybe you have a particular memory of this, and you look up at the sky, and you see all of the stars, and you see a comet shooting across the sky, and you see maybe some satellites, you know, now there's a lot of that. But you're outside of the city, no light pollution, and you can see all of the thousands of stars that there are to see with the naked, naked eye. And what does it say to you? Does it say nothing? Or does it say that there's a creator God? Does it speak loudly? Does it shout? Does it trumpet the glory of God? Yes, it does. And the psalmist doesn't need to tell us that. We recognize that when we walk out under the night sky or when we see the sun rise or when we see the sun set at the end of the day or when we see the sun run its course over the sky. And that's what the psalmist is drawing out over these next verses. So what do the heavens say? Well, they tell us about God. It says the heavens declare the glory of God and his handiwork. Now what's interesting is that all of this that we see in the sky is really quite useless to us practically. Except that it tells us about God. Look at all the expanse of the universe. Imagine a canvas that you have laid out from here all the way to your house. It's much smaller, but it kind of helps us grasp it. And you just put a little point on it. And right there is Earth. But really, God has set all of his pleasure on that little point. And all of the expanse around it is just to serve the purpose of pointing us to God, who is great. All of outer space could really, God could have found another way to do it. He could have warmed the, the earth, maybe through the earth, from inside the earth. He could have just illuminated the earth with his presence like he did at the beginning of time. And he could have created night and day and he could have brought in the tides without the moon. He could have done this other ways. He didn't need the stars. They, they don't serve any purpose to us day to day except that they point us to our creator. 
So what does this tell us? The glory of God, his handiwork, what does that mean? The heavens are declaring God's glory, this is what it means, by proclaiming to us that they aren't there by accident. They're there on purpose. They're there for a purpose. They're created by a master artist to display and to tell of the glory of his creativity, the glory of his mind and all of his wisdom. What is God's glory? The the Hebrew means weightiness. It means mass, heaviness. It's all of the sum of what God is. All the sum of God's attributes, all put together, and this is the glory of God. And all of this is on display simply in the sky. We miss it sometimes. Now, what do you think of when you think of outer space? What does that communicate to us? When we look at the heavens, when we look at the skies above, what is communicated? I think one of the most obvious things is the size of it, the sheer breadth of what exists out there. Here are a couple facts. The Milky Way, well, as far as our our current science can tell us, the Milky Way is probably between 100,000 and 150,000 light years across. So you travel at the speed of light, and it takes you maybe at least 150, 100, maybe, only 100, thousand years to get across. That's our galaxy. And it's just one little collection of stars in this vast universe. It's like nothing, except for God made it something. According to our current thinking, the universe is about 93 billion light years across. That's the whole universe. It's the numbers that we can't understand. We can't even begin to comprehend. 93 billion light years across. What does this tell us? If the universe is so big, what does it tell us about its maker, God? If God made the universe and stretched it out 93 billion light years across, but it says he just, the psalmist writes later, he stretched it out on the palm of his hand. Here's a hymn by Isaac Watts of what the skies are saying. He writes this, Behold, the lofty sky declares its maker God. All, all the starry worlds on high proclaim his power broad. The darkness and the light still keep their course the same, while night to day and day to night divinely teach his name. How did the sky speak? Let's look at what Isaac Watts just said in there. Night to day, day to night. What are the qualifiers that the psalmist gives us to understand how the skies are speaking to us? Look at verse 2. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. It's a wonderful way to say simply every day, all the time. Day to day, from the beginning of the day to the end of the day. Night to night, from the beginning of night to the end of the night. It means every day and every night, all the time, constantly pouring forth speech. And we get that a second time. Look at uh, the first part of verse 2. It says, day to day pours out speech. This is an image of uh, a spring or a fountain that can't be stopped. It just keeps coming and coming and coming. There's uh, 
my dad will remember this quite well. We used to go to Algonquin Park all the time as, as kids, and I was able to go there last year and experience the same thing. There's this little stream on one of the portages, and uh, it's a spring that comes out of, the, out of the ground, and we always used to go, and we'd drink out of it, and, uh, and it's delicious, and it's fresh, and you don't have to drink lake water anymore after a few days. It's kind of nice. And uh, I went there last year. It had been years and years, and the stream's still coming out. The stream is still pouring forth, and it is still pouring forth freshness, life, vitality. The heavens speak like that. They keep pouring forth speech day to day, night after night, year after year, decade after decade, forever and ever. They pour forth speech, and the speech tells us that God is great. He is glorious. What else does it tell us? Well, day to day, night to night, it tells us about the regularity of what God has done. It tells us that God is orderly, that he's not a God of chaos, but he's a God that makes things just so and makes things to operate as they've been designed. Listen to Genesis 1. This is where uh, the account of creation is. Genesis 1, 14 through 19. And God said... Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be signs for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And the stars, so he says, and the stars. I really like what the KJV says. It says, he made the stars also. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. God has set the universe into motion, and everything in the sky moves at the speed and on the path that God has designed it to. And all of this, day to day, night to night, is pouring out, revealing speech and knowledge. What is this knowledge? It's a knowledge of God. But it's more than a knowledge about God. It's more specifically a knowledge of the wisdom of God. Turn to Proverbs 8 briefly. Proverbs 8, uh, verse 22. In Proverbs 8, we have... A recounting of what it was like when the Lord created the earth. And the writer is talking about this whole account in the voice of wisdom. It's wisdom speaking to us here. Listen to these verses. Proverbs 8, 22 to 31. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. Remember, he's talking about, he's, this is wisdom speaking to us. Where there was no depths, I was brought forth. Where there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. 
when he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the heavens, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundation of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. All day, every day, from the beginning of creation, the wisdom of God, this knowledge of the wisdom of God, is clearly seen in the skies. What does the world look like to you? Does it look orderly all the time? Often the world looks like chaos. But here in Psalm 19, no matter how chaotic the world is, it exists and it unfolds on the backdrop of a completely ordered universe. One that's held together by the power of God and according to his sovereign plan. And the constancy, the regularity of the universe, it speaks everywhere. So these are the two things that we see about how the sun showcases God's glory. We've seen that this, not the sun, the skies, the skies speak God's glory, one, all the time, every day, and we also see that the skies speak the glory of God everywhere. Look at verse 4, turning back to Psalm 19. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Stop there. Their voice is, it's actually a word that means a measuring line. So, in, in the Old Testament, it's often used as uh, the line that is used to measure off an area of land. Maybe in prophecy, or, or in, in Israel's case, it's a measuring line. It says, from here to here is uh, a plot of land that's going to be designated for a specific purpose. And right here, the psalmist says, the measuring line of God goes out through all the earth. That's what that word, the voice, means. It doesn't actually mean voice, but it's implied. It's the measuring line of the voice of the skies. The speech of the skies goes out according to the measuring line of God from one end of the earth to the other. That's what it's saying. So over all the earth, the measure of the speech of the voice of the skies goes out. That's what it says. In their words, to the end of the world. No matter where you are on earth, you can recognize that the skies speak. It doesn't matter where you are, the skies speak to a woman in Manhattan the same way as the skies speak to a taxi driver in Calcutta, the same way it speaks to uh, a child in the Amazon. The skies speak to all people the same. They have the same message, and the message transcends any culture, any boundaries of language, because all people speak the language that the sky is using. Or, maybe more accurately, the skies speak the language of all people. So David stepped out one night 
and looked up and wrote, the heavens declare. And what did he see? He saw maybe 4,000, 5,000 stars if it was perfectly dark. You know, with a 15-inch telescope now, you can see as the earth rotates, if you give yourself enough time, you can see 380 million stars. Our Milky Way galaxy contains an estimated 100 to 400 billion stars. I read from an astronomy journal that said there were around 100 billion galaxies in the universe, but, quote, this number is likely to increase to about 200 billion as telescope technology in space improves. We can't even keep track of it. It's almost like galaxies are just doubling because our technology increases. We, can, we can't get to the end of it. We can't fathom the, the breadth of what God has made, what he's stretched out with the span of his hand. You remember in 1997, I don't remember it, but uh, I was alive, but in 1997, the the, the Hubble Space Telescope had just taken a bunch of images from this little area um, out, out in the sky. So there was, a, there was a space in the sky. It was in the constellation Urge, Ursa Major, little L shape, and nothing could be seen there. It was just complete blackness. There weren't really any stars. There was, there was nothing there. So th- there's obviously curiosity. Well, what, what could we find there if we just placed the Hubble Space Telescope, you know, the latest, greatest technology, on that space and left it to the exposure on the camera over days and days and days, what would it pick up? And we found after we overlaid all these images, that little L-shaped patch in the sky, one twenty-four millionth of the whole sky, we found 3,000 galaxies that weren't there, or we couldn't see them. 3,000 galaxies, and they each have their own billions and billions of stars. It's just unimaginable, but all of it says, God is great. That little patch in the sky, one twenty-four millionth of the sky, it says, God is glorious. God is wise. And he's a master craftsman. That's God's purpose for the skies, to make himself known to all people, all day, every day, everywhere on earth. So that's the first main section. The second thing, a little bit more briefly, is the skies speak without words. So we've seen the skies speak, and you wouldn't be blamed to think, well, I thought the skies speak, because we've been saying that they declare, proclaim, speech, knowledge, voice, words. We've said all of that so far, and then we get to verse 3. And I'll make one correction that actually makes quite a bit of a difference in the ESV. Verse 3. It says, there is no speech, nor are there words. And I would argue the proper translation would be, their voice is inaudible. The ESV renders it, whose voice is not heard. The words that are actually there are voice not heard, or voice is inaudible. And the translators have chosen to put in the word whose. The NASB, if you have that, or the NIV, you'll see it says something to the effect of their voice is not heard, just simply their voice is not heard. And most scholars would agree that that's likely the proper translation. But what this means is that verse 3 is now 
giving us a little bit of understanding on verses 1, 2, and 4 that we've just looked at. So he said, the heavens are proclaiming and they're declaring knowledge and speak, speech and uh, they have a voice and all of this. And then we have verse 3 and it says, well, there are no words. There is no voice. It's not heard. It's a bit of an oxymoron. It says, day to day, if you can follow along here, we, we, uh, uh, combining a couple of these verses, day to day pours out speech, there is no speech. And night to night reveals knowledge, and there are no words. The Old Testament scholar Bruce Waltke says about this oxymoron, to, to clarify it a bit for us. Listen to this. this is, I found this very helpful. Though the heavens are seen with the eye like a portrait, they speak the language of sight to the ear of reason and of the heart to generate worship to God. So the skies like a portrait speak the language of sight to our ears of reason and to our heart to generate worship of God. And that's exactly what they do. The skies speak the language of sight to our reasoning, to our heart. And how are we going to respond? Already mentioned, uh, uh, I, do, I do enjoy camping. And uh, when you're camping, you've, uh, if you've gone in the backcountry, you probably know that there's a very particular way, there's uh, some, I guess, rules that you have when you're picking out a site. There's certain criteria. You don't just pick any site. You don't really want a marshy one that's all covered by trees, un unless that's, you know, your thing. But um, you want something that's kind of open, has some airflow. And for me, one of the biggest things is, what's the view of the sky? Because when you get out there at night, and you've been working really hard to get to wherever you are, and you've been paddling all day, or you've been hiking all day, you would love to just rest, lie down, and see the, the stars above. And to be reminded that the earth rotates, everything continues on as it has, as God's designed, and you see something of God. I have memories of particular nights, one in particular with uh, my now brother-in-law, Lyndon, and we're at Massasauga Provincial Park, just north of here, and you could see the, I remember exactly where uh, the Big Dipper was, part of the constellation Ur Ursa Major, and it was right there on the horizon on the North Shore. And it, it's amazing what can be spoken to us just by the stars and by the glory of what they represent. Last year I did the same thing, went to Algonquin, saw the stars, and you can't help, we couldn't, but talk about God, sing songs, and, and just reflect on the greatness of who God is. The stars and their speech, the sky and its sunsets, its sunrises, it all necessitates a response, and it's all there for a purpose. So, the the skies speak of the, God, the glory of God, but they speak with no words. And now we find that the psalmist pulls out this particular example of how the skies speak. David's put before us all of this stunning beauty of the skies, and now he says, 
Here's something in particular that showcases God's glory. Look at the end of verse 4. In them, that is in the heavens, he set a tent for the sun. In the heavens, he set a tent for the sun. Isn't that a funny way of saying it? That the sun goes down at the end of the day like it's going into a tent that's far off on the distant horizon and it goes there as its shelter throughout the night, resting, ready to rise again the next day and continue its course. Now, does the sun stay in its tent? Does the sun stay set each night? No, obviously it rises. Look at verse 5. The sun comes out, and David gives us two pictures here. It comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. This bridegroom is like a newly married husband. He's adorned with all of his groomy attire maybe and all of the uh the celebrations that have just occurred and you know all of that that wonder that he's been united now with his wife and they've gone into their chamber and they've consummated their marriage and they come out now he does with joy out of his chamber it's the most joyous time he's he has renewed freshness and vigor and life in him and the sun comes out like that every single day. And it also comes out like a strong man running his course with joy. Now, many of you might have memories of running. I have some memories of running. They're mostly fond. Not all of them were. So, uh, but but there are lots of people out there that enjoyed running and uh, exemplify this kind of uh, illustration much better than I do. One that comes to mind, if you could say, who enjoyed running, you know, in the last hundred years? You'd probably say Eric Little. That was the first thing that came to mind for me. Eric Little, in the 1924 Olympics, you know, it's portrayed in the the famous movie Chariots of Fire. He didn't run in the 100 meter, but he ran in the 400 meter, and uh, he was someone who felt absolutely constrained to run. He had to run. And if you can picture that scene where he's running the 400 meters and uh, all of his teammates have said, well, there's no chance, all the U.S. guys. And uh, he's, he's a Scottish fellow, by the way. And uh, he's running down the track and he starts, he, he's getting ahead of everyone else. And he's just, he's kind of flailing his arms and he looks, he looks completely silly the way he's running. And he's got his head turned back and uh, he closes his eyes. And you hear the words in the background him speaking to his sister Jenny earlier, and he says, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. He ran and he felt the pleasure, the joy of God, and the sun comes out every day like that with the pleasure and with the joy of God rising because it gets to carry out his will of giving life and giving light to all of the earth. Now it looks like all of us um, remembered the time change. So that's, that's pretty good. And uh, I would ask you, did you appreciate how the sun 
well, you, you had an extra hour to see it because we moved our clocks back, or we moved our clocks forward, so now you get an extra hour to see this, to, to wait for the sun, so if you missed it before, now you might see the sunrise. It was kind of gloomy outside, but above the, above the clouds, above all the rain, the sun rose again with joy, and so it does day by day. So the sun showcases God's glory. That's our third point. One, by its joy, and secondly, by its heat. C.S. Lewis called this the key to the whole passage of Psalm 19. And we'll see next week how it helps us tie together these two parts of Psalm 19. What does this say? Look at verse 6. About, about the sun, its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there's nothing hidden from its heat. Here's God's common good to all people in all places. There's no one on earth that can be kept from the warmth of the sun. You might say, well, Antarctica is really cold. Well, it could be a lot colder if there was no sun. You wouldn't be able to live there. So nothing, no one, no place can escape the warmth, the heat, the light of the sun. Its heat is radiated on the earth. This is what's important about its heat. Its heat goes out onto all of the earth. It gives life. Its light gives UV rays for the plants to grow, for the animals to grow, for humans to exist. And all of it's kept in motion because of the heat of the sun. We couldn't exist without God's heat to us through the sun. And if the sun is merciful and gracious and life-giving to us, how much more is its maker? When you look to the sky in the day and find the sun is running its course across the sky from the east to the west, and you maybe see that the moon's already out as a sign of the night that's to come, and then you see the sun setting and it it shines through the atmosphere and creates streaks of blue and purple and orange and red on the, on the landscape of the horizon. And then you see, as you look again, the sun's gone down and the removal of that blazing light has given us a brand new mercy of God because now we can see what was otherwise hidden by the light of the sun. The wonder of the sun and its leaving gives way to the wonder of what's behind it. And we see the stars that God made also that he didn't have to make, but he made to show us his greatness. How do you respond to a sight like the sky? How do you respond, more importantly, to the designer behind it all? So we've seen the skies speak of God's glory. The skies speak without words. And they're speaking all, all the time, every day. And they're speaking everywhere on the earth. And the sun showcases God's glory. Those are our first three points. Our final point is that the speech of the skies demands a response. You must respond to what the skies are proclaiming, are declaring, pouring forth day after day 
to us. You know, you're held responsible for how you respond to this speech of the skies. God made the skies to speak, and the reason they speak, this whole point of these six verses, is to show God to all people everywhere on earth. If you've looked up in the sky and you've seen the stars or you've seen the sun, you've seen the sunset, you've seen all of its glory, you're held accountable for a response. When we get back into our study of Romans, and we're right in the middle of that if you, you didn't realize, you'll, you'll be helped, I think, if you remember what it is that God has for us here in Psalm 19. Because we'll shortly, in a couple weeks, get back to Romans chapter 1, and we'll find ourselves in verses 19 and 20. And it says this, about the response to the skies. For what can be known about God is plain to them, in particular people that have rejected God, for God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature, are clearly perceived in the things that have been made. So everyone's without excuse. If you've seen the things that God has made, you're without excuse to say that you didn't know there was a God. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge to us. Some people say, but I can't believe in a God I can't even see. I'll only believe God if I see him. The secular man looks at the sky with foolishness and in his wisdom rejects the wisdom of the God, the creator who made the skies. The wisdom of this world is folly. Your response will either lead you to God or it will condemn you. When you look at the skies, you'll either say, I have to know more and more this God who created it all. Or you'll say, there is no God. And you are held accountable for that decision. The skies are great. No doubt. But how much greater is the one who spoke it all into existence? I'd ask, is your response when you look at the skies, like David, when he, when he said in Psalm 8, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him? You look at the, sc- the stars, the sky, and are you humbled? Do you have a desire to know the God who made it all? God made the skies with a purpose. And when you see that purpose, do you say, Amen, or do you reject it? You know what's amazing? The skies point to something greater than the skies. The sky is beautiful, and everything that's in the sky and all it represents, it's all beautiful, but it points to something greater than the sky itself. It points to a person. 
It points to God. It points to Jesus Christ, through whom all the skies were made. Without Jesus was nothing in the sky made. The world was created through Christ. And that's the wonder of Psalm 19, that in here we can see the glory of God through the skies, but it points us to something greater. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God said, or for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in the heart of the believing person to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you reject the sun in the sky, you ultimately reject the Son of God who has made the sky and has made the sun to point to himself so that through the sky you would be turned to God's written word and in his word you would find the Son of God himself and he would give you light. He would give you life. The sun is vibrant and joyful and providential and God made it. The sun lowers every day and fades into its tent in the horizon to reveal what would have otherwise never been seen. And the stars are intricately and delicately hung in their place and God made them. And the whole rhythm goes on day after day, night after night, season after season, seemingly effortlessly. And God made it this way and he holds it all together. We've seen that the skies speak something. The skies speak of the glory of God and they do it every day, day after day, night after night. But they speak without words. They speak through the language of sight to our reason and to our minds to generate worship of God. And then third, we see that the sun itself proclaims the glory of God. And then fourth, we see that the creation and the skies particularly demand a response from us. Will we say with the psalmist, the heavens declare the glory of God? That's what we say as Christians. The heavens declare the glory of God. Or will we say with the perishing world, the sky exists. What is your response to the shout of the skies, how you respond to the skies, what they're saying, will define you, will define your life forever and ever. Let's pray. Oh God, we praise you because you have shown to us the glory of your nature You have shouted with blue expanse and with colors on the horizon and with stars hung in the sky and with comets shooting across the sky. You've shouted that you are great and that you are glorious. And you've shouted that you exist to be known by us. For you have shown this to us 
so that we can know about you, and more than that, so that we can know you, and additionally, so that we can know you through the person of Jesus Christ. Oh Lord God, impress on our hearts all of what the skies have to say for your glory and for your renown across all the world, every day, night after night, day after day, without fail. And we pray that this would be done for your glory among all the nations across all of the earth, as far as the measuring line of the voice of the skies extends. We pray in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.